Oh, man. I'm tangled up. Give me a second. Okay, all right. Okay, another behind-the-scenes moment. One of my favorite things in filming that, um, that film was the day when we first had the shot where the tornado shows up, where we see Gyra show up. Obviously, there wasn't an actual tornado there. Sorry to break the movie magic a little bit. But in order to get the scene where everyone's like watching it for the first time, my friend Sarah, who plays Annie and there and I, we weren't in those shots, so we were behind the camera with a leaf blower, and they would say, action, and we would just blow a leaf blower right into somebody's face. And then we started trying to shoot each other's hats off with the leaf blower. It was fun. Anyway, um, all right, so we've been talking this week about the character of God who God is and how God shows himself throughout this story of the Exodus, throughout this story of him bringing his people out of slavery, out of captivity, out of Egypt, and eventually into the promised land. And we saw the first time when we came together, we saw God show his holiness, his might, his glory, his beauty, his awesome power. The next after we set up who God is in his beauty and his glory and his holiness, then we talked about God's wrath, God's justice, the fact that he is perfect and we are not, and because of that, we deserve his wrath, we deserve his justice, because he is a just God who cannot overlook sin, who cannot overlook evil, who cannot overlook wickedness. And then after that, we looked at the fact that while God is just, he's also merciful. He's also loving. He's also gracious. And in the story of Moses and the Exodus, we saw that mercy and that gracious love of God played out in the Passover. The way that he allowed his people to escape his judgment and his wrath as he went through Egypt and struck down the firstborn. And how he used that, that Passover, to save his people not only from his wrath, but also from slavery. That because of that, Pharaoh finally relented and finally let God's people go. And so, finally they're free from slavery in Egypt and it's time to start the journey to the promised land. The land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's how the Bible describes it. You're like, I don't like milk or honey. Too bad, it's great. Um, and so, finally, they're on their way to the promised land. But, soon after they leave Egypt... Pharaoh has yet another change of heart. Pharaoh has yet another change of heart and he begins to pursue the people of Israel. He gets his men, his armies in their chariots with their swords and they begin to pursue this nation of Israel full of weak, beaten down people, children, old people, people who are not at all a mighty race of warriors. And here they are, one of the greatest armies in the ancient world, the legions of Egypt, and they are hunting down the Israelites. 
God delivered them from slavery, delivered them from captivity. He delivered them from his own wrath, but now Pharaoh's wrath is coming after them. And that's what we saw in the story tonight. We saw that pick up. So we're going to be reading through that section in Scripture. We'll be in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. We're going to be jumping around a little bit um, in Exodus 13 and 14 kind of hitting highlights rather than reading two whole chapters. So they get out of Egypt, and at the end of Exodus chapter 13, so um, yeah, at the end of Exodus chapter 13, I'm just going to read one verse for you. It's verse 21 of Exodus 13. It says this, And the Lord went before them by day, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So God's people have been brought out of slavery, brought out of Egypt, and now he is going with them on the journey. And he shows up before them in this pillar of cloud during the day and then a pillar of fire during the night. This is one of the things in in the film here that we did almost exactly as it's described in scripture. Obviously, it didn't take place in the Old West, right? This was thousands and thousands of years ago, not just a what, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, whenever the Old West was. Um, But this is pretty much exactly like you saw it on screen. This pillar of cloud during the day and this pillar of fire at night. God is with his people as they begin what will be a long, long journey. And so they leave, but Pharaoh, his heart is stirred up against them. He wants to get his revenge on the people of Israel. So he rallies his armies and they go and they begin to chase the Israelites down. And the Israelites come to this impassable obstacle, the Red Sea. So on one side, they have this sea and on the other side, they have one of the strongest, most formidable armies in the world that wants them dead. And they're in this impossible situation. But let's see what happens. I'm sure many of you already know. Exodus 14, we'll read starting in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? So they're in this situation and it seems hopeless. The Red Sea on one side, Pharaoh and his armies ready to kill them on the other. And immediately, even though they've just seen all of these incredible miracles, immediately the people of Israel lose heart. And they go, Moses, Moses, did you bring us out here just so that we could die? Did you bring us out here? What's the problem? Was there nowhere for us to die in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here? We'd rather just die in our home if they're gonna come kill us anyway. Anyway. 
But listen to what happens. Starting in verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, listen to Moses' words, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent. Hopping down now to verse 19, it says this, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them and coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel and there was a cloud and the darkness, sorry, and there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground with the waters being a wall on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord in a pillar of fire and of cloud down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned, covering the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh who had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses." So God brought his people out of Egypt, but Pharaoh wasn't done. Pharaoh mustered all of his might, the most powerful army in the world, to chase down this group of people that included the sickly, the old, the young children. He chased them down, but God was with them. He was with them in the pillar of cloud. He was with them in the pillar of fire, and he separated them from the Egyptians. 
He held the Egyptians back. He parted the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could walk across past this impossible obstacle. And then God closed the sea up over the Egyptians. He closed the sea up over the Egyptians so that his people would be safe from those who pursued them. We've talked about God's holiness. We've talked about God's justice. We've talked about God's love and his mercy. But tonight, I wanna talk about God's presence. I wanna talk about God's presence, the fact that God is with his people. The fact that God does not save his people to abandon them. He didn't save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and then say, okay, peace out, see you guys later. And in the same way, he doesn't save us from our sin and then say, all right, have a good life, see you in heaven. No, because God desires to be with his people. And we see it in the book of Exodus in that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire that goes with his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And if you continue on through this book, if you continue on through the story of scripture, through the story of God and his people, what you see over and over and over again from the front cover to the back is you see God finding ways to be with his people. At the very beginning of time, the very beginning of creation, when God makes Adam and Eve the first two people, they're free from sin, they've never sinned against God, and what we see is God walking with them in the Garden of Eden. But then they sin and there's this separation that happens. This closeness that we are made for, this closeness with God that we're made for, it's broken by sin, but God still loves his people and desires to be with them. And so we see things like this, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. If we were to continue on, we would see that God has his people make a special tent as they're in the wilderness. We call this tent the tabernacle. It's this tent that's to go in the middle of their camp where the presence of God will dwell. God will live amongst his people. When they end up in the promised land, he has them build a special building, the temple, where the presence of God dwells in the midst of his people, in the middle of their great city, Jerusalem. If we continue on, we see God being with his people in even deeper and more profound ways because at the beginning of the New Testament, we see God show up with his people in a new way as God himself takes on flesh and is born as a baby, lives as a man. God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, becomes human, takes on flesh, and walks amongst his creation because he wants to be with his people. And Jesus, throughout his life, throughout his ministry, he says time and time again that God desires to be with his people and that even after he is gone, Jesus says, even after Jesus goes to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he says that I will be with you, that God will be with us, that he will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. And now if our faith and our trust is in Christ, if we've been made new by him, that same spirit, the Bible tells us, lives in us. See, God is a God 
who cares about being present with his people. He's a God who wants to live with his people, a God who wants to be around his people, a God who wants to be in the midst of his people. He does not save us to abandon us, but he saves us for relationship. He saves us that we might be with him, not just in the future, not just in heaven, but now, today. So what? What does that mean for us, that God wants to be with his people? What does that mean for us, and what does that mean about God? What do we know about God from the fact that, that he wants to be with his people? How does that affect our lives? Well, I have two sons. You guys, have probably most of you have seen them around this week. We've got a picture of them we're going to throw up here. Those are my two boys. That's Caleb and Grant. Um, Caleb is the stoic little one there. Grant is the crazy older one there. Um, I, I love my boys. I love these boys to death, and, and I mean that, right? I mean that I love them to death. If, if I had to die for either of these boys, I would do it in a heartbeat. It wouldn't be a second thought, right? Because I love them deeply. And some of you, when I put this up, especially the girls, sorry girls, this is just how it is, you go, oh, I love them. And maybe you do but you don't love them the way I love them. Maybe you go, oh, they're so cute, I love them. That's fine, I'm glad. I'm glad that people go, oh, they're cute and I love them. I'm, I like when you guys see my boys and you go, hey, how's it going? Like, I, I, I love that. I love that other people care for my sons, but there's a difference between the way that you love them and the way that I love them. Even you over there who know my boys and you love them a lot, you don't love them the way I love them. You don't love them the way I love them, and you know how I know? because you don't change their diapers. Grant doesn't have diapers anymore, but Caleb still does. You know how I know that you don't love them the way that I love them? Because when they're scared in the middle of the night, they don't come into your bed, they come into mine. And you know how I know that you don't love them the way that I love them? Because you don't know that Caleb loves to play with tools, that Grant loves Spider-Man, and he loves to sing every song to Encanto. You don't know that, but I know that. So you know what the difference is? I mean, honestly, there are a lot of differences between the way you might love my boys and the way I love them. But you know what the biggest difference is? It's presence. I love my boys, and because I love them so much, I want to be with them. Because being present, being with someone is part of how we as people communicate love. Now there are, all, there are times when I don't get to be with my boys. Maybe I'm on a trip, there's something going on, we're not in the same place. Even right now, I don't get to put them down to bed tonight because they're going down right now and I'm here with you guys. And I made that choice because I love to be with you guys too. That doesn't mean I, I love my sons less, but let's say we didn't live in the same house, my boys and I. But let's say we lived really close. I lived just, uh, just down the street from my sons, right? And I said, oh man, I love my sons. I love them so much. I love them so much. You're like, oh yeah, when did you last see them? I'm like, well, I think I saw them 
like six months ago. I said hi. Uh, FaceTimed them two months ago. And there's no obstacle in my way. I could just go down the street, walk in, and spend time with them. But I never did that. I can say I love them all I want, but my actions are communicating something different, right? Because love is at least partly about presence. It's about being with them. When we love someone, we want to be close to them. I love my boys, I also love my wife. I remember when my wife and I were dating, we were dating in high school, and our friends both got mad at us because we just like were with each other all the time and never with our friends, right? But it's because we, we loved each other. We wanted to be close with each other. We desired to be close to each other. It's even more true now that we've been married for 12 years or whatever it's been. Don't say I said whatever it's been. If you see my wife, I said 12 years. Our anniversary is is, August 15th. (sighs) (sighs) Guys, cover for me, okay? All right. My son's birthday is October 11th. That's what was throwing me off. All right. I know the dates, you guys. I'm on top of it. All right, anyway. Anyway. Part of love is presence. And so God demonstrates his love for us. The Bible tells us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, but God also demonstrates his love for us in the fact that he desires to be with us. See, he died for us so that we could be with him. It was all about presence. God wants to be with his people because God loves his people. He shows us that he loves us through his presence. And his presence has all kinds of implications for what our relationship with him looks like. His presence means a lot for what our relationship with him looks like. So I'm just gonna hit three things. Three things that God's presence with us tells us about our relationship with him, tells us about his love for us. The first is this, God's presence with us, in in the story we saw it as the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, today we see it as his Holy Spirit living in us. God's presence with us shows us that he knows our failures. He knows our failures and he loves us anyway. He knows our failures and he loves us anyway. If you wanna turn to the book of Psalm, we'll be in Psalm 139. We're gonna be hopping around a little bit tonight, a little more than we have. Psalm 139, we're gonna read verses one through six. Keep this in mind, God's presence with us shows us that he knows our failures and he loves us anyway. Psalm 139, one through six. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind me and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the pit of the earth, you are there. Jumping forward to verse 23 of the same chapter. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a psalm that's written by David. The David from David and Goliath, the David who was King David. He wrote this psalm. If you know anything about David, you know that David's a complicated guy. You see, as just a boy, he went toe-to-toe with this powerful, mighty warrior, Goliath, because he trusted that God would deliver his people, and he struck down the giant. David was a boy who was a shepherd boy who was called to be king over God's people. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, but David was also an adulterer. David was also a murderer. He was a guy who loved God deeply, but was absolutely deeply flawed. He was sinful, just like you are, just like I am. And what he's saying here is, search me, O God, and know me. He says, God, you know the deepest parts of who I am. You know my words before I speak them. You know my actions before I do them. And yet you love me. Guys, God's presence with you means that he knows everything there is to know about you. Every word you've ever spoken, every thought you've ever thunk. He knows every bit of it. I know what it's like to be a kid who grows up in church and who puts on a face who pretends like you're someone you're not, who pretends like you are this sinless, perfect Christian kid. I know what it's like to be that because that's who I was in junior high. I was the kid who pretended like I had it all together, who pretended like I did nothing wrong, but there were so many things that I struggled with that I didn't want anyone to find out because I knew that if they knew that I struggled with this horrible sin, then they would look at me differently. They would look down on me. They might not want to hang out with me anymore. They might not want to associate with me anymore because they would know the real me, the broken me, the wicked me. Guys, the incredible truth of God's presence is that his spirit searches the depths of your heart, that he knows everything there is to know about you, as David says here, the grievous ways in you. 
He knows those parts of yourself that you hide from everyone else and you are terrified of them coming out. The God of the universe, the perfect, holy, righteous God of everything, he knows that deep darkness and he loved you enough to die for you. God's presence with us shows us that he knows our failures and our flaws and he loves us anyway. But it's not just our failures that God knows. See, God's presence with us also shows us that he knows our needs. He knows our needs and he cares for us. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We'll be in verse 26. It says this, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Who is the spirit? It's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It is God with us today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, God himself, intercedes for us. That means he steps in for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for God's people, according to the will of God. This is what it's saying, guys. It's saying that God knows what you need more than you know it. Going back to my boys, you guys might have seen this this week. This has been... um, It's a busy week when we come up to Hume. My four-year-old doesn't get the nap that he should. And so around dinner time, he is spent. He is so tired. He's probably hungry because he probably hasn't eaten very much. He's probably a little dehydrated because he's not drinking enough water. But he doesn't know any of that. He's just grumpy, right? He's just grumpy and he, eats, he quickly like goes into these tantrums. He just kind of loses it. He can't handle it because he doesn't really know what he needs. And I say, you're tired, but he goes, I'm not tired because he doesn't know. I say, you're hungry, buddy. I'm not hungry, but he is. And guys, you and I are a lot like a four-year-old who's a little too tired and a little too hungry because so often we don't really know what we need. We know that we're hurting. We know that we're sad. We know that that we're lonely. We know that we're depressed. We know all these, but we don't really know why. We don't really know what it is that's driving that. We don't really know what we need. And so sometimes all we can do is groan. Uh, I know all your parents have heard you do that. But here's the thing. God's presence with us tells us that while we might not even know ourselves what we need, 
The Spirit of God searches us and he knows what we need. So he intercedes to God the Father with groanings too deep for words. Even when we don't know, he does. He knows our needs and he cares for us. He knows our failures and he loves us. He knows our needs and he cares for us. God's presence also shows us that God knows our weakness and he displays his power. He knows our weakness and he displays his power. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just like two books over, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Be in verses 9 and 10. This goes along with the last one with not necessarily knowing your own needs. 2 Corinthians is a book that was written through the power of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And Paul had some kind of, of, of issue, probably physical, um, some kind of pain, some kind of, of handicap or something. We don't know exactly what it was, but we do know that it caused him pain. And we do know that he pleaded with God to take this pain away. He said, God, this hurts. Take this away from me. I don't want to have this pain anymore. And do you know what God said to him? God said, no. And Paul did it again. He asked again. And you know what God said again? He said, no. And then Paul asked for a third time. He said, God, take this pain away. And do you know what God said? No. And why did God say no? Is it because he didn't know Paul's needs? Is it because he didn't care for Paul? Is it because he wasn't with Paul? Not at all. It's because God was displaying his power through Paul's weakness. Look, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. We'll start in verse 8, actually. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, we serve a God who is with us always. Just like he was with those Israelites. In fact, much more than that. He was with them in that pillar of smoke, pillar of cloud, and in that pillar of fire. He was with them in the tabernacle in the midst of their camp. But God is with us, not in some building, not in some meteorological event. God is with us in our hearts, in our spirits. Because the Spirit of God lives with us. We serve a God who is with us, who knows our failures and loves us anyway, who knows our needs and cares for us, who knows our weakness 
and displays his power through us. He is always with us. He is with us always and everywhere. Because you see, the important thing about God's presence is that God's presence is a fact. It is not a feeling. I'm gonna say that again because I think this is an important thing for you guys to hear, especially up here, especially on the mountain, especially at camp. God's presence at all times, in all places, is a fact. It is not a feeling. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say, campers say, man, I love going to Hume because I just feel God up there. Man, God is really on that mountain. God is also in Bakersfield. God is also in Fresno. God is also in Yukaipa. I wasn't questioning if he was there. I was questioning if I was saying it right. Guys, the same God that lives on this mountaintop lives down there because that God lives in you. And when you come up here and the worship is incredible and you're spending time every single day in God's word, you're in conversations with others about who God is, you get these feelings, this mountaintop high, this mountaintop experience, and you go, wow, I feel the presence of God but there's nothing special or magical about this place. The presence of God is everywhere all the time because if you know and trust in Christ, the spirit of God lives in you. His presence is a fact, it is not a feeling. Feelings come and go. You will not always have the camp mountaintop high. There will be times in your life when things are hard, when they are difficult, and when you plead to God as Paul did, God, take this difficulty away from me. And God might say no, but that doesn't mean he's not with you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't know and care for your needs. The presence of God is a fact. It is not a feeling. Tomorrow, we're gonna talk more about those times when it feels like God isn't hearing us in our suffering and our pain. We're gonna talk more about those times when life is difficult and we cry out, God, where are you? We're gonna talk about God's provision. But tonight, I just wanna leave you with this. God is a God who loves his people. And because he loves his people, he wants to be present with them. Which is why he sends his spirit to you when you put your faith and your trust in Christ. He is present with you. You are never alone because the God of the universe dwells in you. He knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, and he shows his power through you. God is with us because he loves us, but he's also with us because he's given us a job to do. Again, something we'll talk more throughout this week. But one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples 
that he said to his disciples before he went up into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. He gave them this job, this mission. We call it the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and he says this. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. He gives the command to his people to go and to tell the world about who he is and what he's done. To go and to make disciples of all nations. To go into a dark world and to shine a light. To go into a dead world and to see people be made alive. Guys, that's a job that's way too big for you. And it's a job that's way too big for me. But our God is present. It's not a job that we're called to do alone. It says, go into all nations and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been given this job to do to tell others about Christ. But the God who sends us out to do it, he's with us as we do. He knows us and he loves us. He, he knows our needs and he cares for us. He knows our weakness and he displays his power. He gives us a job to do and he empowers us to do it by coming along with us. Our God is present because he loves us and because we need him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are not a God who is far off. That like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 23, you are a God who is close at hand, a God who is right by our side, a God who lives in us through your spirit. Father, I pray that you would teach us to see the beauty of that, that you are always present with your people because you love your people. God, we thank you for these incredible truths. I pray that you would just etch them on our hearts, that you would remind us of them, especially in times of difficulty and doubt. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.